But I think what we did was set ourselves up perfectly to do the best we could with it and then benefit from it. And that happened, a lot of that happened before. And then the rest happened in terms of like our flexibility and sort of my ability to take a look at what was going on and try to maximize it for us. Welcome to Unmiss, your go-to digital marketing hub. I'm Anatoly Ulatovsky, here with expert tips and exclusive chats to boost your online game. Let's get started. Oh, good people. Welcome to our show. Hello, bad people. Welcome to our show. Hello, anyone who want to learn more about B2B growth. Welcome. I have no idea what happens with this tool today <laughs> when I'm streaming. Probably we have some low connection. And what I found, it's tough to find the best solution. You know, you can pay for <laughs> the best solution that you have, but we still have these problems anyway. It's more important for us to share value about B2B, about growth, about storytelling, many things. We a lot more with Devin. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. I always feel famous after you show that pre-roll because I'm like, oh, wow, look at look at me. I'm I'm everywhere doing things. <laughs> Yeah, love it, love it. I decided to invite you one more time because I remember these valuable bombs that you can share, you can lead me. An emergency room, I need to spend time to think how to adapt everything, especially in digital marketing. It's a quickly changing world. We need to adapt fast. And if something works today, it doesn't mean that you can get great results tomorrow. We need to consider new technologies. But people are the same. Humans are humans. We chatted a little bit how AI can apologize for <laughs> making mistakes. But what I found, uh, we need to adopt the technologies, but people are still human humans and we need to create the right marketing strategy by using storytelling, different insights. David, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and anything that can help our listeners to learn more about you. Oh, sure. Yes. So uh, I am a growth advisor now. I formerly ran Animals, a content marketing agency, and uh, sort of grew up in marketing in B2B SaaS, working for startups. So have a lot of experience sort of from the ground up working uh, from tiny little companies to big corporations now as a consultant. And storytelling was at the sort of core of who I, how I grew up as a marketer. I quite literally used to tell stories on stage before I was in marketing. And so uh, stories have always been a way that something that a tool that I've used to really not just communicate to, but connect with people. And this is both in, you know, within the confines of the work environment and also with our customers. Um, so it's just one of those things that never, it never fails. It never fails. So um, right now you can find me at Don't Say Content. That's the uh, marketing podcast that I co-host with Margaret Kelsey. And that's probably the best, or on LinkedIn, if you want to hire me. Oh, nice, <laughs> uh, you can find nice. out all about my work there. But yeah, the, the podcast is really um, the place to hear from me more often. So. Oh, Devin, I, I want to ask about your podcast. You know, um, I found that I have only 24 hours a day, but I need to do a hundred things a day, M many things. So uh, I'm so picky, so picky to choose podcasts that I can mm. listen uh, because many, uh, you know, I can find many great podcasts that I want to listen. The, uh, but for me, it's important uh, to get more value. Can you tell what kind of value benefits can you give in your podcast uh, and what kind of difference you have compared to a million podcasts that we have today. So why are better than others? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad you asked because that was the question we asked when we created the podcast. And it's simply that we're talking to a more senior level audience. So sort of like director, VP, C-suite um, and trying to speak to them about the value of marketing, how to lead marketing teams, how to um, manage not just marketers, but the marketing function and understand how it works better. Because a lot of what we see over both Margaret's and my years of experience is, you know, you're either a founder who has to hire marketing when you don't know anything about it, or 
you know, you're running this big company and you're sort of fighting with the C-suite, you know, because they want to know well, what what value have you added? And that value isn't always easy to quantify. And so it really comes down to the need for a shared understanding between your uh, marketing teams and leadership. And so I think quite honestly, we're talking about a lot of new things that don't always look exactly like we're talking about marketing. And we're also addressing the same old problems that marketers face, but from a higher level. I ran a company, Margaret works closely with founders. Like we've, be we've both been there on both sides. And so it's really easy, for example, to empathize with, you know, the leadership teams as well as the marketers for both of us. And we just really, there was nothing out there like that. It was all tactics. It was all guests, sort of a thinly veiled ploy to um, like for a lot of companies, just like dial it in. Right. Um, and we said, we want to do something different. So. Nice. I'm, I'm going to listen a few episodes, but you know, if I don't get value, <laughs> I'll unsubscribe, but. Yes. Uh, and you should I, tell me about it because we're friends now. So you can be like, Kevin, your podcast sucks. So I'm unsubscribing. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course, I'm, I'm going to listen to your podcast. I know about your value. You're so kind to share this valuable insight. So I need this value because uh, we adapt fast. We uh, change our strategy. We can create content plan and uh, change this content plan in a few days, <laughs> you know, to create a new one. Uh, yeah, because we're looking for ways how to uh, outsmart, not to outrank our competitors. Uh, for example, in SEO, let's imagine SEO. Uh, I don't compete with new Patel and big companies. I compete with uh, uh, companies that ignore some niches and we get great results in investing trading niches uh, because we are looking for ways how to get results much faster much better with less resources uh, we are looking for uh, lack of quality content outdated information and for example for one investing project we got results for uh, over 2000 people a day from completely zero uh, and we compete with billion dollar companies billion dollar companies we did it for uh 12 months an year and we got this great results then i want to ask about storytelling it's interesting about storytelling that many companies still ignore this format if you take any marketing books many great books about storytelling and uh, when i read them it's like a must have but i see when companies ignore create just generic content nothing special can you tell especially about b2b how to craft your story uh, that win customers? Yeah, well, you have to start with the customer first. And I think there's a, a with all a lot of these like quote unquote storytelling books um, that really are just marketing books, they're not really talking about storytelling. They're just giving these sort of um, tasks like ask customers these five questions and turn that into a like utilize that in your marketing journey and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, no, you have to meet these people. You have to, you know, when I worked at help scout, for example, it's like, I wasn't just me. I was meeting with the companies that we were customers. I was very tight with our sales team and our customer support team. So I got to learn the nuances and different angles at which customers were trying to solve problems, um, you know, having, uh, trying to make new things happen. And when you have all that information, the smaller the detail actually, the more interesting it is for other people because they're like, yes, that right there, that is, oh my gosh, I have that problem, right? Versus like best practices for being a customer support. It's like, you know, they've all, they've heard those. They probably tried them and they probably didn't work because the, it's not about the what, it's the how. And it was something in the how that made them think it wasn't gonna work, but they couldn't figure out what it is. And so by going in and deeply, it's not about like understanding the persona or like whatever. It's about literally like asking a ton of questions and getting to know these people so that you have all that fodder all of that is subject matter that you can use to connect with even more people on an even deeper level. And let me tell you, when someone makes you feel seen, 
there's an automatic kinship and that kinship can be established by a brand who understands you too. So I think that's like my biggest is like, you don't want to go for trends. You don't want to, you don't want to take all this information and boil it into a persona. You actually want to break it down. Like you would a story, right? A compelling story isn't a series of chapter titles with a summary. It goes into great detail, strategic detail to make you connect with the story more. Apply that same concept to the information you're getting from your customers. And you'll have some really interesting narratives that you can fuse in lots of different places in your marketing journey, if you will. Nice, nice. Um, I open your LinkedIn profile because I love opening LinkedIn profiles. You mentioned that <laughs> uh, it's better to subscribe to your podcast, to follow on LinkedIn. I follow on LinkedIn, by the way, because I need this value. And what I can see um, in your uh, background, uh, don't say content, it's a podcast name, but um, I like another quote, uh, a short quote, a podcast for board board marketers can explain <laughs> what it means you know for me uh, i often see it i often see it it's not even about uh, boring marketers it's more about boring content uh, for example you can share valuable insights bring value but who cares if it's boring you know uh, once i speak with jim edwards uh, he worked in business insider 10 years he started on this company from scratch company was sold for 500 million dollars great success almost everyone knows business insider but he told me that success of business insider depends on creating non-boring content so uh, um, and i see when uh experts can craft content looks great because it's valuable bring a lot of value value it's boring can you tell how to create non-boring content and how you can how you decide this problem on your podcast yeah well so it's interesting i you just you just gave me a new interpretation of what we meant by that so what we were talking about was marketers who are bored largely because they're solving the same old problems over and over because folks aren't getting you know like their their executive teams aren't getting it and so they're kind of like in this space where they're just doing the same thing over and over uh and nothing is changing but um, and so it's, you can't even get to a point where you can solve for boring content because you're hardly getting off the ground in the first place because of these misunderstandings between, you know, marketing teams and C-suite. But to make so to make something interesting, it's not just about finding a point of connection, which I talked about previously. Right. Like finding those details that really resonate with folks where they're like, aha, they understand what I'm going through. Um, it's also giving the work itself a persona. So, you know, we at Help Scout, we're very conscious of our voice and um, we made our writers the heroes. So it's, it's very interesting to see now how writers are sort of commoditized um, and sort of bucketed in with AI. Um, but, you know, we utilize it the same way I got to know our customers I got to know my team and I got to see, you know, like Matt used to make these videos and I would see them and I'm like, wait, hold on a minute. Right. Or like, you know, and I would double down on that because it was like part of his persona. We gave him this persona that came out of his own creativity, his own work. Same with Emily. Right. It was like, we, you know, Greg was very well known um, in the start for sort of creating that help scout voice and writing those early articles. And he had his own, he very much had his own um, persona as well. Uh, but I had to sort of bring up a new set of, of people. And it really just went back to, they both, they both were of the help scout. Um, it was still help scout branded even in the voice and tone, but each of them had their separate. And so there was something, again, specific for people to latch onto and say, I like that person. I like what, you know, I, I love to follow Emily's writing. I love to follow Matt's writing. Um, I love when Mo from the customer support team, you know, occasionally writes. I love when Leah from um, People Ops drops it. You know, it's like, 
they they get to know those people and so it's stickier and i know that's i hate using that word because it's so overused but it truly does apply here it's like they become more like sweet caramel and you kind of like got it all over your hands and you're just like oh i really like I think that will keep you more with the brand than just like sheer volume, right? The, the sheer volume is for SEO. The sheer volume is, I mean, that content should still be good, which is something I still have to teach people about. Somebody said to me recently, they were like, oh, you know, we have to write all this SEO content, but we also want to write good content. <laughs> I was like, wait, <laughs> excuse me. Those have to be, those should be the same. That should be the same. Yeah. Google's not making it seem that way recently, but like technically the mission was they should be the same. Yeah, nice. I love it. Love it. And by the way, I want to explain why I love it. Uh, you mentioned that you make your writers uh, heroes because yeah, I, I read a bunch of books, blog posts, uh, great resources about marketing. And most of them, probably all resources can tell you need to make your readers customers heroes but you mentioned you need to make your writers heroes and uh, it's the same like um, when companies want to make their customers heroes uh, but the best companies start to make their employees uh, heroes happy if your uh, staff is happy they can make happy your customers and uh, you know it's the first time when i heard something like this make your writers happy uh, of course for me, it's important to make uh, people happy who can uh, help me to create, craft great content. But I never thought like, like this, you know. Thank you, thank you. I need to think more about that. <laughs> and uh, I'm actually yeah. curious too how that applies in this age of, um, as we're trying to figure out content using AI, because you know I think about sort of the PLG approach, and I wonder like. And I don't have an answer to this. I'm wondering this to you, which is like, there's, if the point of AI is to create automation, which means humans are supposed to be in that instance, re replaced by a technology that will help them do the work better. And I wonder like, in that case, like, do you need hero writers and do you need the same, like, are you trying to engage your audience through storytelling in those areas? Or is that more of like a sort of product led, you know, um, tactical sell? Because it just seems weird to me that if you're selling, say you're, say you're selling, say you're like Jasper. Okay. And you're doing like content creation and you're like, our human writers are trying to show you how AI can help your, it's like, I don't know. Does that, does that even like, do you use storytelling in that instance? Or is that one where you like change your approach? Uh, I usually cooperate with people who have a proven record. So uh, basically I rely on these people. If I cooperate, outsource someone because we cooperate with people around the world. I don't care, US, Canada, India, Pakistan, Australia. I don't care because if people can write for Forbes and live in Pakistan, they know how to bring value. And I usually check their results. If I see these people can bring results, their content deserves organic reach, these people know how to write. I usually don't limit their possibilities. Basically, if I... Um, cooperate with someone i can tell look at i need to create such content uh, please help me with that if these people can use storytelling or something different that's okay you know uh, i can force them okay we need only storytelling why if someone can create great content without storytelling okay i can yeah. accept i can accept because i know these people know of course we change something we have some requirements, but I usually uh, rely on creativity and experience of these people. So yeah. if I know these people know how to write, okay, I don't care. I, I really don't care. Yeah, like we always, like the different people you talk to, it's like everyone's got their angle. And it's like, I don't see them as, you know, distinct from, or I don't see them as competing. I see them as tools in a toolbox. And you might mm -hmm. use those tools in different instances 
at different companies or various stages of your product. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. It's like, whatever works, yeah. let's use that. Yeah, I, I often see some content uh, that get a lot of traffic without uh, storytelling yeah. uh, in accounting, in finance. And uh, oh. because audience doesn't need. So, yeah, it depends. Uh, I, I love storytelling. I like to craft my stories. I, I love this format, but uh, I think it's better to learn user intent to know what audience wants to get. If uh, you can create content for your audience, don't care if it's storytelling or not. But uh, storytelling works in many cases. It's very important. And uh, many offers can create great stories. So I love the stories. <laughs> and it makes sense that it was it became a tactic in B2B, right? Because those are longer yeah. tail relationships that you're creating. Whereas like, if I search for a recipe and someone starts talking about their life, the, the recipe person starts talking about their life. I'm frustrated. I'm like, just get me the recipe. Right. It's like, it's not meant for all things, but it's a perfect use. Storytelling is a perfect use case for B2B because it is a longer term play. You are helping people build their careers basically um, through your content. So. Yeah. Nice. Devin, I want to ask about your bio on LinkedIn that mm-hmm. you increased revenue three times uh, in two years uh, to achieve 11 and half million dollars. Good money. So uh, tell this story to my audience, how you achieved, you did your secrets, how to get Sorry, you froze for a second. So if Can I sat there yeah. smiling like a weird, if I oh, sat okay, there okay, smiling okay. awkwardly, it's because I didn't hear the end of that. Um. <laughs> I, uh, okay, no worries. I, I, I can ask one more time. Uh, I don't know what's going on with internet today, but yeah, <laughs> it internet, happens. Okay, uh, I want to ask about, yeah, I want to ask about um, your section bio on LinkedIn that you increased uh, revenue mm. in three times to achieve 11 and a half million dollars uh, in two years so i want to know this story you know uh, our uh, topic about storytelling how to get great results in b2b but uh, tell your story how you uh, achieve such results i think it might have been 12 and a half but i can't remember i'm such a bad unless the number sitting right in front of me i can't remember but you get it um so yeah i mean look One of the things I learned running a company is how easy it is to manipulate information, how useless, how like data is all data can be a lot of different things depending on what you do with it. So having that information on its own doesn't really do anything. And so if you look at the years where the revenue was doubled, that's when everybody was doing great. That's when software companies, which we served as a company, were getting tons of funding. They couldn't hire fast enough. They were banging down the doors for us. I mean, we had a, I had to institute a, we had a three month wait list because, and that was dangerous for us because we didn't want to become known as unavailable. You You want a little bit of that tension, but, um, we, you know, everyone in the tech arena was doing really well and we benefited from that ourselves. What I take credit for are the systems and processes that we built that allowed us to uh, satisfy that demand and the brand that we had built to get there, right? Like there was a reason why so many people were coming to us first or coming back to us after trying other people like there was a reason why, I mean, I, there's a reason why we had that credibility and it's because of what we had built in the years leading up to the sort of brief boom era that we saw. Um, Another thing that we, or like another piece of credit that I take is taking advantage of a good situation. So um, in our case, that was, we have all this demand I always joke that I played the Fed a little bit where I was like, okay, well, we need to raise prices to sort of equal, like to lower this demand a little bit, you know, and not, but the truth of it is we made the most of what was uh, water flowing down river. And I think that's really important. Um, 
you know, to be flexible in those ways. And like, did thing did things break? And did we have, of course, like it was chaos during those, that, those couple of years. Um, but I think what we did was set ourselves up perfectly to do the best we could with it and then benefit from it. Um, and that happened, a lot of that happened before. And then the rest happened in terms of like our flexibility um, and sort of my ability to take a look at what was going on and try to maximize it for us. Yeah, nice. And what I like in this message that you share, uh, sales numbers, not uh, traffic, you know, because I see when companies chase high volume, you know, to get more traffic, to get uh, high engagement on social media, I don't care about traffic if I can't sell. And for me, it's more important to get sales than uh, more tricky. And uh, I remember when I spoke with you. Either. We didn't need it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and once I spoke with a master who lost uh, 400,000 traffic because Google dropped his ranking positions, but he didn't lose any sales. He was so surprised <laughs> about that. So uh, he created uh, a lot of content, spent money, time, resources, and uh, he deserved a lot of traffic. He uh, thought, wow, I have this traffic. That's cool. But uh, in one day, Google dropped his ranking positions. He lost uh, 400,000 traffic, but sales are the same. And he was surprised. Well, what, what is the reason to have this traffic if you can't sell, if you can't submit your call to action, if you can't uh, yeah, get results because traffic means nothing you know, without sales. That was help scout too. I was brought in because we were sort of, we were slipping, we weren't, we were slipping in our traffic numbers. We weren't going up and I think they were around 300K unique visitors a month at that time. And I don't even know if they call them that anymore, to be honest, but, um, and we, I got them to, you know, it was like, I think my goal that first few months was like 425 or something. And we hit that, but we weren't asking enough of people once they got there. And so we had a similar instance where it didn't make as much of an impact. And it's like, you know, um, we had such strong brand credibility, we um, had a really good product. We were well known, but we weren't, we were having trouble. We had all these people around us who were just milling around and not doing anything. We needed to engage more people in different, deeper ways, like through the newsletter and segmenting that, which we worked on later. But yeah, the traffic alone won't get you anywhere. And of course, different types of businesses need it, need different things, right? A, a service agency you know, I believe we went about it the right way, which is sort of a more community driven approach where we were, you know, our story was being told for us. Yeah. And that, my friend, is power. It's it's to the point where, you know, it didn't matter if people, you know, if, if it, it, people who are are have a bad experience or whatever. It, it doesn't touch you. Now, it's not that I'm advocating for people having a bad experience, but it's a service industry. And you know that that inevitably, at some point, people are going to be upset, but it, it never impacted us because we had tons of people uh, from really big companies and really small companies that had a lot of clout singing our praises for us. Nice, nice. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Devin, I want to ask about the process. You mentioned that you built the process, and I know it's not simple. Uh, uh, I remember in 2008, when I started my digital journey, uh, I hired a big team of writers who wrote about anything, weight loss, finance, accounting, anything. They wrote, Google ranked, we got high engagement on social media, but things changed a lot. Google fired all this team. Okay, I fired this team, but uh, Google pushed me forward, you know, to do it. And today <laughs> I cooperate with experts. I cooperate with people who know about the topic. And the second, I cooperate with people who know how to write or create content. Because uh, you can be a great expert, but if you have no experience to write, you can't create great content. You can write without grammar mistakes, interesting text. But if you don't know the topic, you can't bring something new to the table. So you need to have both. And you mentioned about the process. Can you tell how you built this process to achieve these great results? Yeah, I mean, 
the there's sort of two separate things in what you're asking. One is the topic specific content. And that is an area where we, I don't believe we ever mastered it. It it's complicated. Then there's the process around, you know, assuming that you can write about, you have the writers who can write about anything. Um, and that's a bit simpler, right? That's, that is, um, I would say it's easier to do in smaller teams than it is to do at scale, which is like the obvious, everyone says that, but, um, you know, I think the most important thing is to have, uh, I don't know if layers is the right word for this, but, mm -hmm. you know, you have your writer, you have, um, an editor and you have, and the editor, like we ran into this with our editors is like, you need a kind of editor that's going to look at it, not just for correctness, but for like overall, is this interesting? Yeah. Does this address the topic at a high enough level? And then is it also specific enough? You know, it's like kind of that, it's almost like an EQ thing around the article. Um, and it's That to me is vastly more important than a lot of the correctness because that's what a lot of what customers are reacting to um, when they or customer, customer, your boss, your CEO, whoever it is that you're writing for. Um, they're really, to be honest, they're going based on the feel. And in addition, and, and they'll be less, they'll be looking less at the technical aspects of it if it feels right. And they generally see that they're getting, you know, the information is accurate. So um I think that's really important is like, you just need different eyes. Like pieces really just shouldn't in-depth pieces on specific topic areas really shouldn't be written by a single person. They really need someone else there to look at it from multiple vantage points, really up close to the microscope and then far further back um, to give that perspective on like, did you cover this? Did you cover enough angles of this? Did you think of the different perspectives that make this topic more interesting, understandable, useful, whatever? Um, so that's really important. I think having writers to write on different subject matter, this is where it becomes a bit easier to work, to write for a company than an agency, because that's your whole job is to get really good at one topic. Um, we really struggled at animals to figure out a, a, a working formula for um, like writing deeply technical, like software, technical content. Um, and if looking back, I think I would have emphasized it less actually, because it, there isn't really any money in it. It's like harder, but like you don't get paid. It's hard to like, it's hard to be able to show commensurate value for being technically correct and make them like it to justify much higher the price it actually costs to produce that content, if that makes sense. And also when it comes to certain areas like that, like it goes back to the, you know, is, do you need storytelling here? Or is this an audience that actually just wants like finance, for example, or software developers, it's like, they don't really want this to be pretty. They want it to help with a specific thing they're working on. And so like, you kind of need to just, it, it should be boring by our standards. Nice, nice, love it, love it. Um, let's talk about my loving topic. And I often get these questions about mistakes that we need to do. And I made a lot of mistakes, I keep doing them. Some mistakes, terrible, some uh, slight mistakes, but uh, I think everyone, when we uh, can start something new, we need to do mistakes because we learn best practices, we can learn generic strategies. And for example, uh, I paid for one PR campaign, uh, $6,000. So basically we hired uh, a PR agency uh, who, uh, wrote press release, uh, pitched them, and we paid $6,000, but we needed 12 press releases a week. 
it's like seventy two thousand dollars and i decided i need to save this money uh, i started to write myself i wrote a bunch of press releases i can count them probably a hundred <laughs> i pitch all of them and i got zero mentions zero results nothing just complete failure then i learned how it works uh i uh, explained to our blog offers who can post content for forbes investopedia bloomberg big websites expanding look at you create evergreen content that's okay but pr is something different you need to share about trending topics we have some limitations you need to bring uh extra value in your expert opinion uh, share bullet points uh, and yeah I can't say that we got great results fast, but after six months, we got mentions on CNN, Bloomberg, Business Insider, MSN, Yahoo Finance, CoinDesk, Invest.com, big websites. And today we save plus $3 million, you know, uh, to write and pitch press releases even better than agencies, PR agencies can do. And uh, here's the reason, because PR agencies usually hire journalists, but we... Uh, uh use different approach we hired experts because journalists are looking for experts not yeah. for extra one <laughs> journalists who can bring some value so and it works well and but we achieved after six months of complete failure David, i want to ask you about your mistakes uh i know all experts i spoke with plus 700 experts on this podcast i love to learn from them from neil patel ren fishkin and all of them can tell we made mistakes we've made a lot of mistakes we can learn from them we can acquire experience and go ahead can you list mistakes that you did and what kind of experience you got after doing these mistakes uh, and how you can do it differently to help someone who can avoid such mistakes yeah i have so many um actually the first we just our season uh four just launched and the first episode we did on was on failure and margaret and i just got on the mic we're like okay so here's a list of um so okay 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 i'm delaying a little bit so i can think of a good example of the many times i have failed um one actually is or made mistakes rather not failed um This was one where I learned that I was prioritizing the wrong things. Mm -hmm. So I was putting together a TEDx event in my city and I'd done it the year before with somebody else. They had to back out. I didn't have the right licenses. So I, and I, but I was, I believed that it was important for my reputation to keep this going. Like we'd already lined up some speakers. It was, you know, and I believe that it was catastrophically important that this event happen. And so I did it, the event happened. Um, but I was so burnt out afterwards and financially in, like I was in debt and all for the reason I thought was to put on this event that did nothing for me. It doesn't like, it's a line item. It's almost like I, I, I it's in my LinkedIn almost as if it's like a volunteering thing. It's just like, it doesn't, you know, um, in which a volunteer position where I had to pay for it and never got any money back. So, um, that was one where I learned like not to let my ego get in the way of good decision-making and I think that applies a lot in people's careers and leaders as well Is like one of the biggest mistake I see leaders make is um, ego-based decisions. And I think that I, there were times when I did that as well at animals where um, actually technical content is probably a good example where if I put my objective hat on, I probably would have looked at the numbers and said, you know what? this isn't worth it. Like it's hard to keep these types of writers. It's, you know, hard to manage. These clients are more demanding than others. We can't increase the price that much because the ROI, like we couldn't even justify the ROI on how much it costs to make a single article. And it was just, we just kept trying. And so, and I think a part of me just wanted to prove that I could do it, you know, <laughs> yeah. and 
and and we couldn't, we couldn't, we never did it. We'd never mastered it. We did not. We tried really hard. And one of the things that we were good at is reflecting and improving um, as a company. But man, I pissed a lot of people off doing that yeah. and it didn't go anywhere. I didn't, I didn't, I never made it happen. And the realization now is like, oh, if I had just thought objectively and taken my ego out of it, I would have just said, you know what? We are going to cover these niches really well. And that's it. And we can let other people have that business. Like we'll set up referral programs with them or something like it's fine. Um, But ego is probably the source of all my mistakes that Mm. are sheer ignorance and stupidity at certain moments, you know, and you just don't know what you don't know. But uh, the ego is a big one. It's a big one. I love this story. Awesome. Yeah. You remind me of my ego. Uh, you know, when uh, once we started one project because of chasing money, nothing else. Uh, I found market gap and I decided to fill this gap to earn a lot of money uh, to win market. But I hated this project. I didn't know anything about this project. So we had a great of team of experts who know the topic. But that was a big mistake because yeah. uh, I didn't know this topic. I can't manage people who know without knowing how it works. And uh, I failed. Uh, I wasted resources <laughs> for three years, three years. <laughs> and, uh, and I know this quote, never give up. I, I disagree with this quote. <laughs> and let me explain why. Because <laughs> if you hate Monday and love Friday, leave it. You will never regret, you know. So yeah. I... At that time, I hated Monday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because I uh, I had this project. I need to manage a lot of people, and I hate it. It's not my passion, and far away from that. So, and uh, uh, I learned to avoid any projects because of chasing money. Today, yeah. I wanna enjoy. I wanna love the process, and uh, I don't care about rewards. Of course, I want. I love rewards. No, uh, I don't want to lie. I love rewards, but I want. To enjoy the process because rewards you you can get them like uh okay you can um, be excited like two three days yeah. but if you enjoy the process you can you can love every single day every moment you can back on sunday evening on saturday night you don't care if you love it so no. for me job is hobby <laughs> oh yeah i worked on a project at help scout once that took the life out of me and on the we were in barcelona I was fine. I was going to be presenting on the project. It was considered a success. The CEO called me out in his intro um, in, intro remarks. And I was so ill that I was sitting there like sweating and I had like a breakdown, like my body like imploded and I had to go, I'd be like taken up to my hotel room and I missed almost the entire week. I missed my presentation because I was, I'd worked myself so hard that I'd made myself sick by the time I could possibly enjoy it. And so I feel that, I feel that it's like, you have to like what you're doing along the way because that, that will give you like greater volume of reward than just that one stop, like at the end of it. Yeah. Like you shouldn't be celebrating when something's over. If you're really having a good time, you shouldn't be celebrating that it's over. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You should want it to keep going. Right. Of course, of course, hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And it's only one reason how you can uh, overwork your competitors uh, because you can work much harder than competitors, and uh, you can't work smart if you uh, hate your project. Uh, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. It's really tough. But if you love experience, if you uh, enjoy the process, like for example, uh, people are watching. TV six hours a day. It's a lot. Six hours of TV, Netflix, I don't know. They uh, don't wait when someone will pay money for their hobbies. You know, they pay for TV shows, uh, movies. But uh, it's the same with, with your job. You need to love it and don't think about results. It's like watching TV. If you love watching TV, you need to love your job as well. So you need like I I play basketball. I uh, Michael Jordan earned uh, three billion dollars in basketball. 
uh, I got only a few traumas uh, on my legs, you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> and but I love it, you know. Uh, and uh, I just do it because I need to reload my mind. I need to practice. I need to have this health issue. I can play three, four times a week, and I love this experience. Um, and it's the same with your job. You need to love the process. Yeah. You need to enjoy. Then results will come, and um, and people all often build high expectations. I can earn a million dollars uh, a year. You can, I don't know, or not. Who cares? Just just go ahead. Go How ahead. How do you feel when you have that million dollars? Let me yeah. tell you, the more, the more of it there is, the more complicated things get. Yeah. I love what you said about competitors too, because you know we really didn't focus on our competitors very much, or at least I didn't. Nice. I, I tried at times, but <laughs> I was just like, all it seemed to do was scatter people when they looked at what other competitors were doing. They, they would lose the plot, the focus, the mission that we were on. And I was just like, this is pointless. I didn't even know who our competitors were, honestly. I knew other agencies and there's a lot of agencies that I really respect and think are great, but I wasn't like keeping up with them unless it was like as friends to say, hi, how are you doing? And like, share information because you know yeah. it's just it, it's such a that that one thing right there can really steer you off course or put you on so many courses that you get tied up in a knot and nothing really happens nice nice love it love it uh david i want to ask the question about your life about your daily routine about balance between family job uh, and um, it's important for my audience who are looking for ways to learn from scratch uh, i have some students who who need to learn today from scratch uh, and uh, yeah uh, how you optimize your day how you start your day how you finish your day uh, how you eat your lunch and find the time for uh, family business anything <laughs> well I start by getting my priorities straight. So when I left animals and went off on my own, the first question I asked was how much money do I want to make and how much time do I want to make or how much time do I want to spend to make that and do those two things line up because a whole life isn't calculating your lunch and, you know, I devote 22 and a half minutes a day to sit-ups or whatever. It's like, to me, it's more like buckets. I have my fun, like friend, fun, going, doing stuff bucket. I have my family, my work, and my, ooh, I will show you my favorite one. Hi, buddy. <laughs> and this guy, Henry. Uh-huh. <laughs> I make sure I have lots of time for him because he's just the best guy in the world and he helps me unwind and feel happy. So um yeah, I put them into buckets and and where do I like, you know, I love to eat um and I love to cook, but I also love to eat out. So kind of thinking about it from that standpoint, it's like where are those buckets and do I have time for all those buckets? Now, day to day, I sort of do a like I plan ahead my week, right? So it's like, okay. I'll do like Monday. So I'll have, um, I don't have it in front of me for some reason, but my notebook is like, if you open it and lay it flat, one side is like, okay, Monday through Friday. And then the individual, like the top three things I'll do that day. And on the far side is the priorities. So it's like the top three priorities for that week. And then a two prioritize list, which is everything else. And that's kind of how I like micromanage the week to make sure I actually get the big ticket stuff done. Right. So it does get drilled down. But other than that, I like to let my days sort of flow. I find that like teaching myself discipline is a way more effective tool for me personally than scheduling every part of my day. It really stresses me out to do that. So I like that I have flexibility and say like, I trust myself to get this stuff done today. And I have sort of a format to, in which I'm like, oh, if I didn't do it and it didn't doesn't manually get checked off the next day, I'm like, well, I have four things to do now. Right. Um, so that's really I mean, 
I'm just optimizing for joy over perfection. And I feel like a lot of this, like, I just, I don't want to be beholden to something I made up around what, how much I should accomplish, what I should look like, what I should, you know, it's just like, I'm hungry, so I'm going to eat. Yeah. Nice. You know, it's like, that's kind of, that's kind of the gist of it is like, I'm hungry, so I'm going to eat. And there's a little bit of structure on it to make sure I get things done. But I, I tried the other ways and they were, they made me, I was miserable. I looked great. I felt horrible and I was getting stuff done, but it's like, I wasn't having any joy. So I like that. I find the less like, you know, it's like when you clench like this in all areas of your life, it's like, Right. But if you let go, trust yourself, let kind of let it breathe a little bit more, so much more effective for me. And I know that there are lots of different ways to structure your time. And I respect all of them. Like everybody's different. Everyone needs their own thing. So this is what works for me personally. It is not something I necessarily think would work for everyone or should work for everyone. Of course. Of course. I love it. You know, very inspirational <laughs> and out of lots uh, of time for this guy yeah <laughs> so, so okay, i love dogs as well i have to talk <laughs> now <laughs> they, they often take part on my podcast but they're silent mom i don't know <laughs> usually sleeping <laughs> yeah that's what henry was doing before i woke him up just to be on the podcast I'm like yeah, Devin, I, I, I love your life. Um, and uh, I, I see you're so energetic, you're uh, smiling. Um, and when I open your LinkedIn profile, guys, you can open LinkedIn profile in the description. You can see that Devin is smiling there and you can get this energy, you can feel it. And uh, I couldn't agree more, of course. Uh, uh, for example, I need to do a hundred things a day. I can't. I really can't. And I, I'm sure Elon Musk can't as well. So, but uh, for me, it's more important to enjoy. And uh, I use three things: uh, delegate, skip, or do myself. If I can't do myself, okay, I can't do myself. What I can do? So it is what it is. Was <laughs> and, delegate list for tomorrow, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I often skip. I skip a lot of ideas. I, I write all of them. You know, I have a huge list and I skip because I can't do all these things. But it's okay, you know, and 70%. There's just that word, too, from need to could. Mm -hmm. There are things that you, there's an infinite number of things you could do. But if you're, if it's, if you're skipping them or delegating them and nothing bad is happening, you didn't yeah. need to do it. It was yeah. just an idea. So it's like, these are things I could do. These are things I like, they got to get done. Right. Yeah. And it's just a different approach to thinking about your list and being more calm throughout the day is like, I don't yeah. need, there's very few things you actually need to do. And there's an infinite number of ideas. And how do you make time for that infinite or how do you make time for the ideas that excite you the most? Yeah. And focus, focus, focus uh, on these ideas. Don't take more than a, one or two ideas, you know, and go ahead. Go all in, you know, <laughs> with these ideas. Yeah. Uh, and then I have my final question. You know, mm. you, you can inspire a lot. Um, um, but I want to ask about the future. Um, today we have AI. That was simple to ignore this tool uh, a few years before. Uh, it's tough to ignore today, almost impossible tomorrow. Uh, I use a lot AI. I grow my results with ChatGPT, with other tools, and I use AI before ChatGPT today. I use a lot more. I invest a lot of resources uh, on AI. Uh, and the main reason, because 5% of marketers lost their jobs when ChatGPT appealed. Um, I, I, I don't think that ChatGPT can replace these people. Someone who can adapt to this tool can replace these people, not uh, the tool itself. Uh, Apple launched augmented reality. We'll see how the world will change after that. But what I like that many things are coming fast. We need to adapt to think about that. Can you tell uh, your forecast about the future? What kind of future will be in B2B marketing and how we can adapt to this possible future? 
Yeah, sure. So as it relates to AI, one thing I caution people around is how they're interpreting data regarding AI. So like, you know, chat GPT came up at the same time that a lot of marketers got fired. That's true. But the reasons why they got fired weren't necessarily a direct result of chat GPT. It was because they had, there was an overhiring wave, there was an efficiency wave, you know, and so um, there's some correlation there, but I don't necessarily know how much marketers need to feed into that. I also just don't think that that's a useful place to predict the future anyway. Um, what I see is, um, at least as it relates to generative AI, is a lot more like people leaning into it more. I think it sounds, there's so much hype around AI right now that it probably sounds like a lot more people have adopted and then have actually have, or many more people reporting having adopting it, but haven't really, like they bought the tool and implemented it in a very like cursory way. And so I think there's a lot more that can be done with AI. I've used it myself for things like creating clips um, uh, for my, the podcast to share. And so, you know, and I have options now, like I did it on Riverside, the quotes were okay. I tried CapCut. CapCut did a great, you know, it's like, there's so many different um, AIs being built in more to a lot of different tools. So I see that continuing to be a great benefit to marketers, um, especially now that they have smaller teams. And I think that there's this phase of like, what's old is new again. You know, it's that whole thing around like, we've basically, we've gone back to basic cable in the US with all of the different streaming platforms. And that's obviously a joke, but there's a lot of truth in there. I think that we're going to see the, like going back to some old tactics, just in new mediums, right? So like video um, isn't just for use cases anymore. It's for content on platforms. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that human voice come back to B2B marketing. When I came up, you were like a person representing the brand. Like, sorry, you were using the brand handle, but like you are a personality. And so I think that's going to come back. A lot of that personality got stripped away. It's going to come back and it's going to come back via video because we've seen consistently that the less polished stuff, the more connected human connection type content. or not human connection, but uh, humans being humans, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, actually works a lot better. And some of that is if it's too branded, no one's really paying attention. So, I mean, I'm really excited about what's to come. I know that that makes me sound like probably an optimist, but I'm it's true. I'm not optimistic about much in real life, honestly. And I see this as an opportunity for us to get back to doing some more creative stuff, get a little bit off this commitment to like a sterile brand and go back to like when you used to see those like Buzzfeed listicles of like the coolest brand tweets or like the, you know, like there used to be a lot more play and I'm, I'm excited to see that happen again. And I really think it's going to. So nice. I love it. Um, I see experts are always excited and you mentioned excited three times you know <laughs> you're excited and because uh marketers on tv and radio didn't lose their jobs they adapted to digital yeah. and we need to adapt facebook decrease organic reach people who created content for facebook uh, can adapt to linkedin twitter uh, other channels today x and uh, what we can do just to adapt if you have experience to craft and create high quality content for ACO, for LinkedIn, it doesn't matter. If you have this experience, you know how to adapt to other channels by yeah. having this experience. And you can beat others if you do it faster. Adapt yeah. faster with your uh, real experience and everything will be fine. Uh, at least before Terminators when yeah. they appeal, when we, we need to fight with them. So it's out. another we don't story. Think about that. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're good. Like the Terminators <laughs> are coming. We all know and accepted it. You know what I mean? I'm trying to hitch a ride on somebody's uh, underground bunker to keep me safe. But yeah, like Terminator's inevitable. But for now, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting about Terminators. I asked my son, 
about Terminators. He didn't watch this movie. He told me, what is it? No, Terminators, you know, like robots, they will fight with humans. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I don't know him. Okay. Oh. <laughs> he, he loves TikTok. He loves all content on TikTok about soccer, about uh, related topics. But uh, um, I asked my nephews about Madonna and uh, some other uh, old artists and they don't know them no i i by the way i i don't know many uh modern artists as well so <laughs> i don't either i watched a show the other day where they were using people born in the 80s as like the older people in the show and i was like oh girl oh here we are yeah <laughs> here we are I guess I'm in that camp now. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. David, it's a big pleasure to get on my show. I love this experience. So valuable. I'm going to listen to your podcast. I need to get more valuable insights. Uh, I follow you on LinkedIn. Guys, you can find the link to podcast and LinkedIn profile in the description below. Let us know how to reach out to you, how to stay in touch with you. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's a great question. I think... LinkedIn and my podcast are the easiest. I think I have contact info in LinkedIn. So if you want to talk to me there, oh, you can go to my website at devinbramhall.com. But all of those places will get you to me anyway. So whatever the path of least resistance, my website or LinkedIn, I'm around. You can find you. You can just Google me pretty much. And it, I have such an unusual, not unusual, but my name is not, you know, as common so like just googling me kind of tends to work in my favor it's like my own little linkedin platform just yeah. about me yeah well when i ask my son can you google uh to reply to this question he always uses tiktok <laughs> you know <laughs> he doesn't know about google <laughs> So, I feel guys, really old now. <laughs> <laughs> so guys uh, anyway if you can't use google like my son then you can find uh links in the description below to this podcast uh, thanks a lot for listening to us a big pleasure david it's a big pleasure you so energetic you know how to share this valuable bombs uh and um, yeah guys it's a big mistake if you ignore listening to david podcast and uh, follow on linkedin okay love you see you thanks for tuning in to unmiss enjoyed the show drop us a review on your favorite platform and help us spread the digital marketing wisdom. See you next episode.